So, a Miami Hurricanes fan and a Florida State Seminoles writer walk into a bar. Tell me, what do you think is going to happen? Do they get along, or are they going to be fighting each other and thrown out out of the bar? Antoine, my buddy, how you doing today, my FSU fan? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing great, man. It's uh, it's almost the end of March. Final Four is coming up, and uh, today we're talking about a couple of pro days that went down. So some fun stuff. But I gotta ask you before we start, Anton, what's your what are your thoughts on some of the 40 times that's been happening recently? Um, well, before I get into that, yeah, I'm I'm a Florida, Florida guy, uh, personally. So, I mean, I, <laughs> we, we wouldn't get into it because of FSU and Miami, maybe because of Florida and Miami. But, yeah, I mean, the 40 times have been kind of different because there's no traditional combine. So, some of the numbers have seemed maybe a little high, some of them a little bit lower than um, what some people might have thought. But I think – um, ultimately, I mean, it just you just got to judge a player like how they looked on film and like how fast they move because they are on film. So I think you just kind of have to look at that and make that determination yourself. Whether uh, if you love if you're in love with a player and he runs a four or five, is that going to change? Because um, is that going to change because he ran a, maybe a tick slower than maybe you thought? I don't think so. I mean, it just depends on how much in love you are with a player and compared to some of the other players in the draft. And you're absolutely right. You know, I don't really take 40 times into that big of a consideration unless the physicals and the measurements don't really match up with the timings. Like for today, uh, Louisville's 2-2 Atwell. Apparently there was some reports coming out per scouts that he ran a subpar time of around 4.4 to 4.5. 2-2 Atwell is what, 5'9", 155 pounds? Yeah. Right. Usually yeah. for a guy like him, he's supposedly fast around the 4.3, maybe a 4.29 unofficial. So that was a bit surprising to me. And that not necessarily might have dipped his stock in my board and my perspective. But what about for teams when they take a look at that? Is that such a big shift for Tutu Atwell's stock in the draft? Um, I don't think so. I think he's still a second round pick. I think he's going to be anyway, just because of his size and everything because he people are going to look at him more of as a slot receiver. So it's kind of like uh, you're not going to take a slot receiver in the first round. That I mean, you go back to when the Dolphins drafted Jarvis Landry. On this talent alone, Landry was a first-round pick, but just the fact that people thought he was just strictly a slot guy, which he's played some outside nowadays with the Browns. But back then, that's just kind of what people saw him in the league. They decided, okay, we're going to – he's more of a risk in the second round as opposed to taking in the first round and, you know, I think it's kind of the same thing with Atwell that, yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that's going to make a big impact. I actually think, you know, you look at some other some teams other than the Dolphins, I think it's a ton of other teams that could use a good slot receiver like him. And I think he could be a huge uh, asset to somebody next year um, in the passing game for sure, if not, you know, on special teams as well. You know, I definitely can. And from what I've seen through his game tape at Louisville, I see him more so towards um, – you know, I've seen him go to touches that include uh, manufactured touches or just straight up manufactured plays where he gets the ball in his hands, specifically in space, either, you know, quick rollouts, play action passes, or just outside screen, something like that, that takes his speed into wide advantage. But let's move this conversation forward to the big Florida schools that held their pro days already, FSU and UM. Let's start off with the big dogs down here in SoFlo. 
the Miami Hurricanes, you know, Brevin Jordan, Jalen Phillips, Quincy Roche, Greg Russo, and Jose Borregales, all five of them had their pro day. And I want to ask you, do you think Greg Rousseau is going to be a first-round defensive end selection in this draft? I think so. This seems like from everything that I've heard, and he's kind of locked in in that middle to late first round. Um, I, I guess he could go anywhere from a team, um, like in the mid-round, maybe like a Giants other than to a team. You know, you talk about a playoff potential team like the Steelers or somewhere like that. So, yeah, I think uh, just kind of it, – it's an interesting situation, especially with a player that opted out last year and – uh, you just really have one year of game tape on him uh, to kind of go on. But, you know, take, the tape was impressive. This, this, um, the year he played, he ended up having 15, over 15 sacks and uh, was a dominant defensive end and that pass rusher. So, yeah, I definitely think um, he has an opportunity to be a middle of the late first-round pick. And I, I assume that's probably still going to be the case. So let's say Miami at 18 has a choice of picking an edge rusher. I want to get your thoughts on this. Do they go towards Aziz Ojolari or Greg Rousseau? Um, I mean, you could go. I, I mean, you could go a lot of different ways. To be honest with you, uh, uh, I, I think you can talk about Phillips potentially too, as well. To be honest with you, I think he's in that midst too, as well. Um, so yeah, I think uh, those will be the guys that I'll probably look at. Um, there are obviously some other guys too as well because the Dolphins definitely need to address the pass rush situation because uh, unless they do it, unless they decide like a JB on Clowney, which is, I mean, <laughs> hey, I think a lot of people kind of pointed that out there, but he didn't necessarily want to go to Miami the first time when they targeted him previously. So maybe his, maybe he's changed, you know, maybe he's decided maybe he, he can go down to Miami now, but, you know, they need somewhere, they need it along the line, they need to address the pass rush situation and, if they don't do it during free agency leading up to the draft, then I expect them to do it during the draft. So Jalen Phillips um, measured in at 6'5", 260 pounds. His arm length was 33 and a quarter. Now, the big thing about Phillips was his injury history tied to UCLA and his concussions. You can also, you know, factor in ankle and wrist. I mean, you're a big guy, big body. You're bound to get injuries at some point during your college and maybe even NFL career. But he had a huge resurgence with the Hurricanes, and he showed the reason why he was one of the top recruits coming out of high school who initially committed to UCLA. You know, he's a versatile player, can play the run, can play the pass. He can be an outside linebacker as well, and he can put his hand in the dirt. Um, what's your player comparison for Jalen Phillips? Because I believe Greg Rousseau is somewhat of a mix of uh, Mario Williams. Um, that's a good question. I, I never really thought about that. Um, off the top of my head, um, maybe like a Olivier Vernon, maybe. Mm. Uh, actually, I can see that. Um, Former Hurricane. Yeah, so I could possibly see that. I think um, that might be, you know, off the top of my head, that's probably where I would lean towards. But, yeah, um, I think he has a chance to have a really good – he has an interesting toy too as well because he briefly took a step back from football because of uh, injuries and stuff like that and decided to come back and have really played really well last year in spots too as well and turned himself into a potential first-round pick too as well. So, yeah, I definitely think that um, – he could potentially be that guy that's not necessarily a superstar type player, but a player that that can get you like seven or eight sacks a year. Just a solid quality guy that can start in the league for 10 plus years. So 
Olivier Vernon did play with the Miami Dolphins, and maybe at 18, they could select Jaden Phillips, and he become the Miami Dolphin as well. Um, from the pro day, his broad jump, in terms of raw athleticism, the broad jump and the vertical jump measures how good of an athlete a player might be. This is through the, I believe, the Raw's score report. So Jalen Phillips had a 10-foot-5 broad jump. And that's almost close to Byron Jones's almost 11 to 12 foot broad jump as well. This guy is insanely, insanely athletic and he can bend. Uh, Quincy Rocher's was uh, nine foot 11 inches. Uh, now, Quincy Rocher is a bit undersized for an edge rusher around 6'2, and he most likely will be an outside linebacker. Now, he doesn't measure up with the monster production he had at Temple. And his game is mainly being a true technician. Will that technician and the play plays he made at the University of Miami and at Temple translate into the NFL specifically in Brian Flores' defense? Um, yeah, I, I think it, it potentially could. I mean, just kind of what the Dolphins like to do and uh, running type of hybrid type of three four defense. Yeah, I definitely think he could potentially fit in if. You know, um, I expect him to be like a day two pick um, for him. But if it's somebody down the line that the, the Dolphins have four picks in the top 50. Um, so somebody down the line that um, yeah, they potentially target and think that he can make an impact. Yeah, I definitely think Roche is a guy that uh, would fit in well there. I don't know how he does from far as a stat standpoint, but I think from a, it's just a strategic standpoint of what they like to do, I think he would kind of fit in well with their defense. I think he he already knows how to talk, attack the pocket and pressure the quarterback, and that's already given for any edge rusher you have to be. So it's going to be interesting to see how Roche develops in the NFL and if, you know, the University of Miami can continue their uh, draft and player development dominance, kind of like how they did back in the early 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. Um, before the season, Brevin Jordan was a big name, most likely considered as either a number one or a number two tight end, but he fell to number three because of the emergence of Kyle Pitts and Pat Freyermuth. Now, Brevin Jordan might not be the first round tight end. Could he creep into the second or maybe even third round? Um, possibly, yeah. I think uh, from what I understand is uh, just kind of looking at projections, like he's anywhere from maybe listed at the third to anywhere about the fifth, just depending on uh, who you look at too as well. Um, yeah, I think obviously Pitts is definitely um, number one too as well as far as the tight ends. But yeah, I think you're talking about uh, Fred Mark from Penn State, um, Hunter Long from Boston College too, Tommy Tremble yeah. from Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Yeah, I think he's in that group. Did you know Geico well. could save so, you hundreds yeah, on car insurance think, uh, and more? So what are you waiting for? As far as um, being in that next tier of uh, tight ends between – uh, the, the two the obvious guys with, with Pitts, and, uh, Pitts and the guy from Penn State. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, the Canes used him all over all over the offense, kind of like how they did with Kyle Pitts. But Kyle Pitts is just a freak. I mean, that dude is in be, a league of his own. Yeah, he's one of the best players in the draft. I mean, that's the Trevor Lawrence and maybe some other guys too. I think he's right there in the top three or four. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, Brevin Jordan was lined up in line from the slot out of the backfield, even maybe as a fullback, you know, because he can catch the ball and be a blocker as well. And he should be able to do 
all of that at the next level. You know, he brings a really, really nice blend and a mixture of size, athleticism, and ball skills that make him dangerous at all fields of the level. Now, there was a video circling around yesterday, and I don't know if you saw it, but Bill Belichick and Brian Flores were talking with each other. Do you, by any chance, could you guess if Bill Belichick was looking at Brevin Jordan and thinking to himself, man, why did I sign Hunter Henry? And John o. Smith for all that money when I could draft Brevin Jordan within the second or third round for cheap, too. Well, I think he tried to do that last year with uh, Asi Asi and uh, the other tight end that they ended up taking. But they, I think they want to try to win now as much as possible and get guys that are proven. So that's why I think he, he saw the, the, they spent the amount of money that they did just to sure up that those weapons that they had to, uh, whether it be tight end or also the receiver spot with um, Aguilar too. So, yeah, I think I think they wanted to spend money to get better weapons around whoever's going to be the quarterback, most likely Cam Newton, depending on what happens. But, yeah, I, um, I think I think he probably – he's. I mean, it doesn't preclude him from maybe taking a tight end later on. But, yeah, I think definitely think that um, they wanted to get guys that were proven. They tried that route last year. It didn't necessarily work. That doesn't necessarily mean those guys aren't going to be great tight ends or good tight ends later on, but it just takes a little bit of time to develop, especially the tight end position for some guys. And he wants to get guys that are proven and try. they're trying to win now. The Patriots are just, you know, they, they went seven and nine, and they're probably like, we're not going to do that again. So, <laughs> Well, hey, with the new schedule, the new 17-game schedule, they could go seven and ten, maybe even eight and one. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Uh, I, I think they'll be better. I don't know how much better in the division they'll be. Um, I think the Bills are still the favorite, but outside of that, if you're looking for teams that are like two or three, I think they're I think they're kind of about where the Dolphins would be uh, just projected-wise next year, at least early on right now. That's interesting. And, you know, kickers, kickers are people too. Jose Borregales, he initially started for the FIU Panthers, my home school, and turned heel. He went to the big brother, the Miami Hurricanes, and I was so heartbroken. So heartbroken. But he had a stellar, stellar pro day at 5'9", 207 pounds. This guy has a leg now. He might not have the leg of Jason Sanders, but could he be in the likes of maybe Greg Zorlean, maybe a Steven Goskowski? You know, it's kind of hard for kickers to live up to that status. But could Borgalis be that guy for a team? I, I think so. I mean, he he certainly has the leg and the accuracy. It's just the with kickers, it's just mental. That's all. That's what it is. It's mental. I I don't know how good of a kicker he's gonna be. It's just all about Kenny has that mentally has has the mental toughness to be able to shrug off a kick or a missed kick or two when it doesn't go his way. So I think that's what it boils down to. If he can do that, then I definitely think he he can have a really great long career. But yeah, he definitely, as far as a talent standpoint, I definitely think he has what it takes to succeed, at least in the NFL. That's true. You speak a lot about about the mental aspect part. And what pops into my head is Youngway Koo, who was initially the kicker for the Chargers and missed a couple kicks and was let go. And, you know, he wasn't in the NFL, went to, I believe it was the XFL and the CFL and came back and signed with the Atlanta Falcons. And he fixed up his mental errors. And I believe he was a Pro Bowl kicker too yeah. last season. So it really is about about the mentals uh we're moving up north to uh tallahassee florida in which you cover the florida state seminoles and we talked about this when you were back on our pod uh earlier about marvin wilson uh talk a little about 
about Marvin Wilson and what he's had to go through this past season at FSU? Well, he dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, they played in six games, six out of the nine games, dealing with a number of different injuries, injuries including a leg injury that put him out for the rest of the season. So he was just never himself in the 2020 season. So um, you look at him, he's decided to take the rest of the season off, get ready for the NFL draft, uh, went to the Senior Bowl, kind of prepared for that, did some interviews, and probably now just talking to people um, about him, probably in the round four or five range there. But really, I mean, if, yeah, I mean, if he could, I think people are afraid. I mean, he looked good. Like you look back to his freshman and sophomore year, I think he looked, he projected really well. And then he ended up coming back to school and it's kind of hadn't really had the same kind of impact set. So I think that's kind of scared some teams off too. And then you got the injuries on top of it too as well. So I think that's kind of what slide him down to probably a day three pick. But I mean, if he could get back to form, he can get back, he can get to a good situation that has good coaches and good D-line coach. I mean, he could be an impact player in the league. It's just a matter of uh, putting it all together and staying healthy. But he definitely has all the tools to be a successful uh, NFL player. Yeah, for sure. And he's a capable run, def- run defender. But, you know, he did have his issues, as you said, during his junior years. And within that six games, you know, anchoring and finding that contact balance because, you know, he has a top-heavy frame and a narrow lower body, which could have contributed to his lower like injuries. Um, you know, he's got natural athleticism and raw power, but his body composition is, you know, not the best. And his leverage, you know, is kind of inconsistent and it robs him of some of those tackles. So it's really putting it all together and being consistent for Wilson, which is surprising when you mentioned round, round four and five, because Wilson is my number two defensive tackle in my big board, just because of, you know, the qualities he's shown from freshman year, to now. So, you know, hopefully he brings it all, brings it all together and becomes a quality starter for an NFL team, whether it be the Miami Dolphins or somebody else. Uh, staying with the defense, uh, Hamza Nasrallah Dean. He looks like a young Chris Rock to me, man. I mean, you take a look at his pictures and the way he plays. I, he, he reminds me of a young Chris Rock just, just looking at him. But when he plays, he reminds me of Eric Rowe. And he could be that tight end eraser for Miami, you know, he's 6'3", 213 pounds. His arm is 34 and a quarter. I mean, that's such a long arm, and his hand size is 10 inches long. I mean, that's 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 big. Yeah. That's that's big, especially when you're going up against these bigger body tight ends. Um, if the Miami Dolphins do indeed draft him, you know, what positions is he going to play, and will he go up against the best tight ends in the AFC? Well, I think he can play a lot of different positions. I mean, he can play the slot corner. He can also play uh, strong – well, strong and free safety are kind of like interchangeable nowadays. But, yeah, I feel like he can play all – both safety positions, also some nickel as well. Uh, so Dimebacker yeah. maybe? Yeah, he can play some linebacker. Yeah, he played a lot of versatile positions at FSU. It's just a matter of injuries also slowed him down too. He only played two games last year because he was still recovering from a leg injury. So he says he's 100% healthy now. Uh, I expect him to probably be a second or third round pick uh, just based on that. But, yeah, I think he definitely think he could be a steal for somebody later on in the draft. But, yeah, he definitely has all the tools to be a complete safety in the league. It's just a matter of, again, it goes back to being healthy. And I think he is. I think he definitely showed that. And when he is, he's definitely among one of the better players in college football. 
I think all he has to do is get healthy. And I really, really, it's, he's actually on my wish list. I want the Miami Dolphins to draft him because he fits the mold of a Brian Flores type of player. You know, he can play dime backer, slot corner, any of the safety positions, and maybe even an edge rusher just coming straight off the line, going after the quarterback. You know, he's got such a high ceiling at the next level. And, you know, if Josh Boyer and Brian Flores do draft him, they're going to have to get very creative with him and take advantage of his immense physical gifts. And I think he should be able to run with Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, Hunter Henry, John New Smith, maybe even Kyle Pitts if he's in the AFC next year and if the Dolphins are making a playoff push because he'll need to cover those tight ends, which are an X factor in any game. You you ask Bill Belichick. I mean, he's got a, a tight end factory just coming out over there in New England. Uh, there's another legacy cornerback in this draft, and it's Asante Samuel Jr. Talk about what Asante Samuel Jr. is different from his draft, but is is different from his dad. But what does he bring to a team? Well, I think he's definitely has the same kind of build. Um, they're both about the same height. I think. Um, his father might have been a little bit tall, maybe about an inch taller, but yeah, I think for us, um, the body and everything like that, I think they're pretty much the same. Um, his father played primarily on the outside. I think they're kind of targeting him to be an inside slot corner, but although he he says he could play on the outside, which I, I think he could too. I just think that so many different, so many receivers are bigger nowadays. A lot of people like corners that are like 5'10 or 5'11 to kind of be in that slot too because you're, you're matching up against players that are about the same height too as well. So, but yeah, I, think, I definitely think um, his father was taken um, third round, I believe. I think Samuel could be anywhere from the late first round to early second round pick. I mean, you're getting a guy that really stood out on a FSU defense that was really lacking a lot of in a lot of different areas last year. So, yeah, I think that he is one of the better corners in the in the draft. I think you're depending on how fast they come off the board. I think a place like Green Bay, who also interviewed him throughout the course of the draft, um, is a possibility. I know some people talked about the Dolphins looking at, but they, the Dolphins already have like a ton of corners anyway. Mm-hmm. So I can't really see that happening. I mean, you never know. I mean, you can you never know trade somebody and or move on, but. Yeah, I think right now, I think they have so many other needs and have their quarterback room is so full at the moment. I don't think they would take him, but I, it's a ton of other teams that I think would be happy with his services. And I definitely could see him being a a guy that's kind of like, um, I know Daniel Jeremiah said to me personally that he thought he was a little bit like Antoine Winfield from last year. Mm-hmm. Very similar type buildup, somebody that's been a legacy player coming out. Their father played in the league there and come really professional, and he made such a big difference with Tampa Bay last year. Uh, you think you could have the same type of effect um, for Samuel next year for some potential playoff team in 2021? That is that is going to be interesting to see because I see him more so along the lines of Denzel Ward, who plays with Cleveland, and you know he's fully capable of playing wide, uh, you know, outside corner like he did in college. And, you know, even sometimes in the slot, uh, he primarily played man coverage at FSU. But, you know, he needs to get a bit better in his zone coverage reps and his ball skills. You know, when we talk about scheme fit, Asante Samuel Jr. is a scheme fit in a press man, man man-to-man type of team. 
kind of like the Miami Dolphins. But as you said, you know, Miami Dolphins have a lot of corners already. You know, they have a cornerback factory down here in South Florida. So it's going to be interesting to see maybe, you know, a team like the Green Bay Packers, who, you know, Kevin King blew a lot of coverages last season leading to Tampa Bay going to the Super Bowl. You could possibly have somebody, um, maybe even the Arizona Cardinals, take him really, really early uh, with the pick number 15. So it's going to be interesting to see where he lands up. Uh, from a ball skill perspective, you know, he isn't consistent in finding the ball in the air and getting his head around. So that may be a little bit of an issue early on. You know, he could draw a lot of PIs uh, early on in his career. So he might need to clean up about that. Uh, as we shift to the offense, Tamorian Terry, I believe he might have been hampered a little bit by quarterback play uh, up there at FSU. You know, he's 6'4", 210, runs a 4.440. And he's a physical player and such a yak monster. Um, you know, he's not the top wide receiver in this year's draft class. Could he go somewhere around the fifth or sixth round? Uh, from what I understand, he might be a yeah, sixth, seventh round or priority free agent, potentially. Um, just depending on how um, teams might have saw him stack up at the pro day, but yeah, I think um, injuries really helped him. Like, that's the reason he opted out because he was mm -hmm. injured and he tried to come back and he just wasn't the same player that he was. And he realized that and he figured he might be, be better served just getting ready for the NFL draft and that's decided what he wanted to do. But I think um, I think he'll be on a roster somewhere. Uh, I don't know how, the impact he might make in the league um, per se, but yeah, I think he's good enough to be on somebody's 53-man roster. If not, then I could definitely see him. He'll be on somebody's NFL, whether it be pro or the practice squad or the 53-man roster, I believe, because he, he's definitely a potential game changer. Yeah, I think the quarterback carousel at FSU certainly didn't help his cause there too either, um, along with the injuries and some inconsistent play. But I think it's definitely better than some of the people might believe he be out. He might be the uh, better player than what he's shown throughout the course of his career at FSU. So as we move away from Florida, we're moving a little bit up north to Tar Heel Nation. And the big two backs we're going to be talking about today is Javante Williams and Michael Carter. So let's start off with Javante Williams. Um, my player comparison for Javante Williams is similar to Nick Chubb. However, Javante complements his bruising style with elusiveness which leads to broken tackles and Chubb is just a monster even when he has people around him uh could Williams have a production like Nick Chubb down the line in his NFL career yeah I, I think so I think uh, I, I think he's arguably the best quarterback in the draft I know a lot of people like Najee Harris and you know it's easy to like people that come from Alabama uh, that's a big I, statement I get that, but you know, I think, I think, uh, I think Williams and I think Carter too. I think both of those guys are can make a big impact on some NFL roster next uh, year. Um, I'm from North Carolina, so yeah, I'm a little biased in, in that regard. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely think that those two, those two are one of the best, better running backs in the country. I think, of course, with Travis Etienne uh, from Clemson. Too as well. I think a lot of people kind of forgotten about him, and I expect him to be a first-round pick, too, as well, along with Harris. But, yeah, we don't sleep on Williams. I definitely think he has the potential to get up there and be drafted higher than what he should be. Uh, but, yeah, I think if he's 
if he, I would be surprised if he's there. Um, I know the Dolphins are looking for running back, and they don't take one in the first round. And he's still thirty six. Thirty six. Then, yeah, I think you got to run up and to the podium and turn that card in because he's that good. You penciling his name at thirty six? Yeah, I, I definitely would if he's still on the board. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's 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 interesting to see. So, what if Javante Williams is taken already within the first round or early second round? Uh, Najee Harris, I don't think he's going to last until pick 25, 26, possibly. How would you feel about Michael Carter in this Dolphins offense? I think that it might be um, – I think that might be a good, you know, plan B for him too as well. Um, I, love, I love Michael Carter. I know he ran a slower um, 40 time than what – 4.5, 4.6 around that time. So he played, I feel like he played faster than what he – what he was, um, what he ran at North, I mean, at the pro day too. Uh, you're talking about this, somebody that's can pound the ball, somebody that's, I think it was elusive. Uh, you saw, if you're a Hurricanes fan, you saw what he had. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the last game of the season um, against, against Miami and also kind of what they did in the Orange Bowl too as well. So, yeah, I think I think you'd be comfortable with either one of those. You've you got Malcolm Brown too. The Dolphins also signed too as well. So, they could have a complement of running backs there. Uh, Miles Gaskin is still there too. So you might see a situation where the offense might use a variety of different running backs anyway. And then if you were to get a Carter, I definitely think he'd be in the mix too as well to get a majority of ball carriers. But yeah, you prefer Williams or probably Harris. But if you get a guy like Carter too as well to be a good complement to Brown, I definitely think that'd be a good you know plan for the Dolphins' offense. So there's also a duo of the wide receivers coming from North Carolina, Deami Brown and Daz Newsom. When I was taking a look at some of the clips of them, I realized that, you know, North Carolina, they're built for an Air Coriel type of offense. Now, if you don't know what an Air Coriel offense is, it's kind of like, I'll, uh, I'll take you back in time to the era of Dan Fouts and the Chargers. Um, Antoine, I think you can speak as you've seen Dan Fouts play. And uh, No, I, I, I'm not that old, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that old. I'm in my 30s. I know I got, I know I got gray hair, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that old. But I got to ask you, man, you've seen some of the, some of the stuff that the Chargers used to do back film. in the day. Yeah, yeah on film. Film, yeah. On film, like that. You know how the wide receivers used to motion a lot all the time uh, uh, during the line of scrimmage. And that's the type of wide receivers Daz Newsom and Deami Brown are. However, North Carolina didn't really use that so much um, in the offense. And do you think that might have hampered their stock? Um, no, not necessarily. I, look, I don't think – I think whatever you – I don't think you necessarily need to have big numbers to be considered a high draft pick. I just think you need – whatever you have your opportunities, you need to just do something with them. So I don't necessarily think it, you need to be um, your guy that's going to catch 100 and some balls. We've seen guys like that in college where, you know, you have guys at Texas Tech or whatever the case may be as far as some of those high, wide open offenses where a player gets 102 catches a season and 1,500 yards. That doesn't mean it's going to translate to the NFL. It's just a matter of – how your game translates and what your skill set and can that be reflected or can can that eventually translate to the NFL. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that – I think that's what it's all about. I don't think it's necessarily uh, the catches per se because mm -hmm. with Matt Brown, he wants to have a balanced offense. 
That's how he's always been. Uh, whether you had Ricky Williams or Vince Young or Colt McCord, they're going to run the ball, but they're also going to pass it too as well. And when you got a quarterback like Sam Howe, you definitely want to take some pressure off of him with the run game, but also have the ability to throw the football up there. But yeah, I think those receivers are going to be, I still think they're going to be drafted and mid round picks. Um, Newsom probably ran um, a little bit slower than I think some people thought. But, 4.59. Yeah. But some people, again, it's about you, how, do, how do you view them on tape and how, how do they play yeah. on film? And I definitely think he's a guy that will be taken probably third, fourth round. And he looks faster on film. Exactly. And I think some people will be happy. If you had a choice between Brown or Newsom, who would you choose? Um, I'd probably go with Daz Newsom, probably, uh, slightly, but I definitely think both of those guys could be really good, contrib- solid contributors on an NFL team. Uh, I don't, like I said, I don't know how, as far as being the superstar or anything like mm-hmm. that, I definitely think they could be a um, potential solid player for, or for somebody. Well, I think Newsom brings that ability since, you know, he can be a slot receiver that also brings the value in the return yeah, game. Yeah. Like Jarvis Landry, hey, maybe he could be this year's Jarvis Landry, take it in the second round because yeah. of what he's able to do. Uh, Chasserat transferred um, from quarterback to linebacker uh, from 2017 to 2019. Uh, he really did well in the senior bowl. Could he be, let's say, a Mike linebacker for a team that fits him? Yeah, I think he's a crazy great athlete. Um, I think well, him and his brother both are actually. <laughs> his brother <laughs> played great for us, so yeah, um, I definitely think both of those guys are just monster athletes. Somebody was telling me the other day he coached them in he coached them in high school, which I think is crazy in itself. But yeah, I, I think I think he he doesn't have a lot of experience at the position because he's played other offensive positions, but. Yeah, I think he's, as far as on a physical standpoint, I definitely think he could be a potential game changer. Yeah, I think he may have some roadblocks, um, bumps in the road just because of the learning curve uh, because he's still new to position and he's still learning things. But I think if it clicks for him, and I think, you know, by all accounts, he's a pretty smart guy. I think you might have something special in a guy like him um, on your defense just flying around making plays. And it's it's hard to get those guys that are as stateful as, as he is. That's right. That's right. And I think Chas Wright is more so of a pursuit type of linebacker where, you know, he could play some roles at the mic position, but more so at the will position. And maybe as a stand-up edge rusher as well, because he can certainly get after the quarterback and knows what a quarterback does because he has that mental aspect and mental acuity yeah. while he played quarterback. Um, the Blue Devils have a couple of uh, prospects too. Uh, Chris Rump and Victor DiMicheji, the edge rushers uh, who played last season. Uh, Duke doesn't really get a lot of notoriety because of their defense. However, Rump and DiMicheji, you know, were problematic for the ACC offenses, uh, offenses. Uh, could you talk a little bit about Rumpfin Dimukeji? Yeah, I think he's um, a good quality player, very underrated. I mean, Duke really didn't have a good season last year. I mean, traditionally, especially on the David Cutcliffe, Duke has been a team that's been a bowl team, perennial bowl team under his leadership. And I just felt like last year, especially with COVID, kind of hurt them a lot. Uh, especially a program like this. But, yeah, I think he's as talented as anybody in his position. Uh, it's just a matter of what his teams view him as. Um, 
going into the lead too. I think probably for me, um, if I had to guess, probably a mid round pick, um, uh, somewhere around there, three, four range there. But yeah, I, I think he definitely has the tools that can really stand out in the league. So I wanted to shine a little bit of a spotlight on a smaller school prospect who, you know, went to FIU and is an alumni of mine. And Maurice Alexander is a player I always circle back to. You know, he did his pro day uh, on Monday, and it was his first time being there after he broke his ankle. And, you know, it was emotional for him because you get a guy, you know, from a small school, you know, it might be D1, D2, D3. You're a guy coming from a small school. You have hopes and dreams of being on an NFL team. Talk about that emotional aspect, Antoine. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's got to be. It's, I'm sure it's rough for those guys because I mean, you're not getting the attention that some of the other guys that are that are getting uh, at the bigger schools too, as well. So you're going through the process, and it's a little different, and uh, trying to navigate through your pro days and try to get that exposure. So it's tough. It's really tough for some of those guys to be able to stand out too, among some of the big, bigger school giants. But, you know, I always say that if you're great, if you're good, then people are going to find a way to, they're going to notice you. Right? It may, you may not be a first round pick and, you know, that's fine. But as long as you get an opportunity to get drafted or get, make it to the team, that's all that matters. Because once you get that opportunity, it's about, it's about what you do with it at that point. It's not necessarily whether you're a first round pick, second round pick, or whatever the case may be. Now they, those picks come with higher expectations. But at the same time, when you have an opportunity to make it, whether you got drafted in the seventh round or the first round, and you're there, you're in the NFL. And now you just have to find some way to do it, find some way to you know, get past it and uh, chuck, like grind and put your head down and potentially find a way to make the roster. Do the work. Do the dirty work. And, you know, he's he's not stopping. Uh, he's not stopping just to wait for the opportunity. And he's been training with guys down here in Davie, like uh, – with uh, Jerry Judy, Tua Tagovailoa, and Dalvin Cook as well, so he's certainly in good company. And you know he's gonna that opportunity is gonna knock on knock on the doors yeah. for him. Uh, speaking of doors being busted down, Justin Fields had a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous pro day. And you gotta think, is Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers putting a smokescreen about themselves drafting Mac Jones? Um, maybe. I mean, I think he's in. I think he's in play for him. I don't think it's necessarily they know. I, honestly, I don't. A lot of teams don't know who they're picking, where they are, because they don't. What it boils down to is these teams have a draft board that they accumulate starting in April, and then they have the height, whatever the height, number one player, two, three, and so on and so forth, and they just go on. So I think that's kind of they'll start putting their draft board together once the pro days are over. And then Matt Jones will be up there. Uh, I don't know where they're going to put him up, but Cal Shanahan said he's being considered, which I think he is being considered. That doesn't necessarily mean that he, they're going to draft him. They just be that's what they they're considering them. So could they draft? I mean, do I think they're going to draft him? Well, probably not. But again, it, it totally shocked me. No, I mean we've seen shot more shocking things in the draft too, and I think man, somebody's going to draft Matt Jones in the top ten at this point because. There's a lot of teams that are quarterback needy right now. Um, you're probably going to have three quarterbacks taken in the first three picks. You might have four. I, I don't think the Falcons are going to take a quarterback, but they certainly could that early. 
And then after that, then you got Carolina coming down at eight, and then nobody knows what Denver's going to do. So mm-hmm. uh, I definitely think if Matt Jones really get to Denver, then I think that might be an opportunity for the Broncos to potentially draft him there. So, yeah, he'll be drafting top ten somewhere. It's just a matter of where. Say if Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones are still available at pick number six, the Miami Dolphins pick, are you trading back or are you going to get your guy at number six? Well, I, if they're available, if all three of those are available, then I had to go something went, didn't go right or something. Somebody, either the Jets or the – well, I imagine the 49ers are going to take a quarterback. So I would assume it would be the Jets then take a quarterback. Because you're the 49ers, you, do, you don't trade up to three unless you're taking a quarterback. I mean, that's just that simple. So my my answer, would, I would say the Jets probably took Sewell um, if that would have happened. So, I mean, if you get the calls and people are calling you for and making a good deal, I mean, let's say the Panthers want to move up two spots. Okay, that's fine. It just depends on who are you targeting, who can you draft whoever you want to get at eight, and what are they giving you? That's what it boils down to. If I can still get the same player at eight that I can at six and I get extra draft capital, then, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. If I can't then or you're not giving me a good enough deal, then I'll just make the pick. Because the Dolphins, they're in a good position where they don't have to trade anything. I mean, they got enough picks as it is, especially with all the trades that they have. But I assume they'll listen. But, um, yeah, if that if that happens, then, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be – I would imagine a lot of teams will probably want to trade up. Okay. And – Say you're Chris Greer, you stick at number six. Who are you drafting? Uh, it depends on who's on the board. <laughs> so let's say you have a combination of Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and Panay Well, Antoine Staley, who are you uh, picking? Well, hold on. Well, okay. So I, I got a question there. So who did Cincinnati take there if they, if they didn't take if Sue Well's still on the board? What if Cincinnati trades back and, you know, let's say they hey, pick up Rashawn Slater. What if they pick up Rashawn Slater? Okay, I'm always just, like, thinking of, like, I'm ahead or whatever. So I'm like, okay, if they didn't take Sue L, then, yeah, something ain't right then either. Okay, so in that case, I probably I probably would take Kyle Pitts. I mean, if Sue L was still on the board, then I would definitely consider that too. Um, but anytime you get an opportunity to have a game-changing tight end like that, then, yeah, I definitely think you have to be able to take it, especially you've got Mike Gusecki and Pitts there. Uh, just imagine the matchup nightmares that you might have that opposing, opposing, you might have uh, for opposing defenses. And you can still get a wide receiver later on, too. So I definitely think that would be the way I would go. Interesting, interesting. A lot of people, a lot of people want Kyle Pitts to be a Miami Dolphin. And certainly – you're no different to Antoine. So before we wrap up, tell me what, what you're up to these days. Oh, this this busy time of the year with uh, spring football, well, good to wrap up uh, for FSU, and then coming off of basketball, uh, they lost against Michigan the other night too. So that's really about it too. Just writing and doing the same things I'm usually doing. <laughs> Ready for the final four. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got some games tonight um, in about less than an hour, so we'll see what that looks like. I imagine the two favorite teams are going to pull it out, but you never know. You never know. Well, Antoine Staley, thank you so much for coming on today's Scouting po- Combine. It was an absolute pleasure, and it was great. Finn Maniacs listeners, thank you for, for always listen- listening. And as always, fins up, everybody. <laughs>